Hot dog! I'm Joel Volk and welcome to Small BizCast, where I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and explore strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. As you listen to Small BizCast, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully, you'll find inspiration and ideas from people I introduce you to. Hopefully, you'll laugh a little too. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. Leilani Cure is a trailblazing business person. Leilani is the founder and CEO of Be The Change HR. In addition to being an HR consulting firm, Be The Change provides job readiness assistance for trafficking survivors. Leilani is a public speaker, a social impact entrepreneur, a rock climber, and even an Ironman competitor. I'll also describe her as an agent of change and someone who defies the status quo. Leilani, welcome to Small BizCast. With that, I hope you'll help me elaborate on that a little bit, Leilani. I'd love to hear your journey. The reason I wanted to have you on Small BizCast is for all the reasons I said earlier, and I just love to hear your story. And I want to preface it to everybody listening. I have no idea what that story is. So <laughs> It's a good story. I am a born and bred HR professional, and I'm also a human being who went through some really harrowing times in her 20s. So you mix these two things as you know we all do when we go through tough times. I mean, that's an understatement, but I'll just call it tough times. We don't need to know the nitty gritty details. And, and, you, and you continue a career. This is where I found my passion. So once I felt like I was in a position, you know, where I was back on my feet somewhat and able to turn around and offer a helping hand. I started doing job readiness courses through nonprofits in Orange County called Working Wardrobes and WHW while I continued my journey as an HR professional. And so these two things that were so important to me as I grew in my career, as I climbed the corporate ladder, one day after another harrowing year I had about six years ago, I decided I'm no longer going to work for someone else and I want to start a business and I want it to do two very specific things, human resources, consulting and philanthropy. And so when I started the business, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I had no idea it was a social impact business. I was just like, I'm going to do these two things. That's a little outside the box, but whatever I can, I can make my own, you know, make my own script and do whatever I want. I mean, that's, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are that way. Like we march to the beat of our own drum. And when I started the business, that that in that, that social impact piece was simply continuing that volunteer work that I had done with job readiness through nonprofits. That that's what they did, you know, workplace readiness for people who are coming out of difficult situations. And I'll fast forward to today, you know, as as many business owners do, and especially I think in the social impact space, there's no like real structure or roadmap of how to do this. Through all of my fumbling, here's what we do now. We do human resources consulting for small mid-market businesses. And everyone on this team, we teach job readiness courses and do one-on-one job readiness coaching through nonprofits. And those nonprofits are serving individuals who are trafficking survivors. So we work with six nonprofits across the U.S. offering this service and the coaching completely free. And it's baked into how we have metrics here internally where 2% of our top line revenue goes to the job readiness program. And what is that 2%? It's labor costs, right? So everyone on my team, they're not volunteering. It's part of their job. They're paid their regular rate. They're also trained in trauma 
and a human trafficking a certificate course. And that's where that 2% comes from. So try to take it quickly of like, where are this all came from to where we're at today? Yeah, yeah, interesting. It's it's great to have a passion project that's tied to your business. I think it's one of those things that since it's lonely running a business and sometimes all we focus on in businesses is productivity, ROI, money in the bank, cash flow, taxes, all the things that we worry about, having a a true north, a reason, a why is really helpful to motivating you, especially if money isn't the biggest thing in your life. You know, if money isn't your big motivator and you want to be an entrepreneur, having a reason to make that money makes a huge, huge difference in how we succeed and how we talk about our businesses and so on. I, I've taken a very holistic approach when it comes to that. You know, in the beginning is super altruistic with everything that I did. But as you grow right. a business, you know, you realize in order to be successful, the the home, which is our business, needs to be financially healthy. So as I say all this, Be The Change HR year over year has grown as little as 20% and as much as 200. Wow. And so having this mission, in even though it sounds altruistic, it's like, no, the, the business does well. We, you right. know, And we make a difference in the world. And, and this combination is such an amazing thing to have. First of all, where are you? I know you travel and work at the same time. So that was part of how you built your business is you made it sure you yeah. had the freedom to move and to experience the world. So I'm just curious right now, where are you? I'm at home, which is a, a, a new concept since I you're right. I, I sold all my stuff in the pandemic and drove around the country for an entire year living out of my Mazda Miata. <laughs> it also was a time I proved to myself that I could work virtually and run this business and grow it virtually. Uh, but right now I'm at my home, which is fun to have that concept in Westchester, New York. Okay. Oh, that's I didn't realize you lived in New York. Okay. I do I now. You, I thought you were gonna say Westchester, Los Angeles just now. So <laughs> I'm on the other coast. Oh, very cool. How long have you lived in New York? A year and some change. Gotcha. What did you learn that you didn't expect to learn about living there? People are nicer than I think they make them out to be on the East Coast. <laughs> Unless you're on the subway, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just learning right now to navigate the subway system, but yeah, I think, I think that, and the weather is not that bad. I think they dramatize like a storm is coming, but last winter, it just, it just snows for a day or two and then it stops. It's not that. It's not right. That and you're, did you grow up in Southern California? Oh, you I said did. Hawaii actually. No, that's my dad. So I was born and raised in Southern California and lived in my hometown until I left in 2020. I see. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Was that traumatic leaving? Ooh, I feel no, because the world was going through so much change. Right. And then I was going through so much change. I had a kid who graduated high school. I, for the first time in my adult life, had any type of freedom to physically leave, right? And I'm a huge adventurer. So if if you know me, you know I'm like... A mountaineer and an ice climber. And I, I mean, I drove around the country for a whole year. So it was natural to be able to, you know, hit the open road and explore, although sometimes a little scary, but it, the same thing with backpacking in mountains, I had the same philosophy in the car. I could turn around and go back to California at any time. Right. And so that was always in my mind. Yeah. So what, what was it about traveling the United States for a whole year that made you choose New York to be where you decided to make your permanent home. A story in that as well. I, while I was traveling around the country, visited many provisor networks. And I just decided that I would try my chops on the East Coast. 
a lot of our client and our client base is in California. And I thought, you know, it is just different to do something different and come out here. And so that's why I'm here. Gotcha. So Provisors is a national networking organization with about seven or 8,000 members, I believe. And they're in about 20 different cities now. And so that's how Lonnie and I met. It's through Provisors. It's, I'm, I'm in the Southern California group. And are you too? Is your groups, your home group? I was. I was in a group in Santa Monica. And now I'm in a group in New York City. Which is, we just met in person and it was in a high rise. And I was just... I was in all the fields of looking out on, I'm like, I'm in New York city. Like I'm right. in New York city. Like how did this happen? You know, but I'm, I'm here and I'm, I, and I, and I love it. Yeah. It's funny. I, whenever I travel for business, I would travel, I would try to see if I could incorporate provisors meetings. So uh, I went to a bunch of ones, bunch of meetings in Chicago, which take place in these beautiful old historic office buildings for the most part. And you walk through the lobbies and this beautiful architecture. And we just don't see that in, California. We just don't have enough buildings like that that are in the main, you know, hubs of business. Yeah. And so it was always very special going to some of those buildings. And I I think it's a little bit to the locals, like, what's the big deal? But to me, it was, I love that architectural, the, the stonework and the, and they just look like they, they live in the cold. They don't look like they're, in, <laughs> right. they look like you have to wear an overcoat to walk in the door. Definitely, definitely. So, so tell me about the helping people who are trafficking survivors. First of all, how do they find out about, you said they go through nonprofits. How did that journey become part of your mission? I have always known in, in most of my adult life that I wanted to help trafficking survivors. I also knew that I would need to have some type of emotional and spiritual capacity to be present and do that type of work. So it was always in the back of my mind. I traveled to Busan I forget what year. And I was I was out at night. And if you've ever been to uh, Korea, it, it's safe to go through alleyways at night. <laughs> so when I say this, it was I was going through an alleyway. It was very well lit on the way back home. And I this sort of epiphany, sort of it, it, just that you ever, I mean, I'm going to sound crazy, but sometimes things pop into your head, right? And as I was walking, <laughs> what popped into my head was like, you're, you're going to help trafficking survivors now. And wow. I was like, what a weird thought. I'm on vacation. Okay, fine. And so I took a different route back to the bus stop. And that route back to the bus stop took me through a red light district. It didn't explicitly say that, but the pictures and the silhouettes, I, you know, karaoke, but that's not a sign right. for karaoke. I knew where I was. And I remember thinking, okay, I got the, I got the message. Right. And that night I stayed up all night and started writing and dreaming up, like, how can I do this? And, and so that's how it came about. And it's just been my focus in, in my opinion, one of the worst things that we do to each other as humans on this planet is exploit children in that yeah. way. Right. Of course, kids don't need jobs, right? And so what better than to help support the adults that have been through that? And adults, most of us at one point do need a, a job and to make money for ourselves. And if you put that next to, you know, being a human resources professional and a human resources company, it's the perfect mix in order to help someone. I don't have to train my staff on how to write a resume or interview. Right. Right, right. Right. Nor myself. And so what I, what they get trained on is trauma training, trauma informed training, but that's, that's how it came about. And it's, it's my main focus of helping individuals who are trafficking survivors. Right. Yeah. Is, is trafficking a lot like drug use that it arrests the development of the young person doing that's involved? For instance, I, I know, you know, a few people that spent their youth overusing drugs and 
as a result, they have a very immature way of looking at things. They just didn't develop the same way that people that didn't have that problem developed. Is is that a similar challenge for people? You said, you know, they're often very, very young when they become they victim to trafficking. Also- so I imagine that stops their education, stops their emotional development. I don't have the statistics, but I do know the people that we work with. And I think when we think trafficking, we think of people who are brought from other countries to this country to either work as modern slaves or as sex workers, but still controlled by a person, right? And and therein is the the trafficking. It also can be people who are used to traffic drugs, but in in any case, it's someone who's being controlled by someone else and exploited in some way. And, And that can come about by, you know, what we see on the movies, kidnapping, Right, or it can also right. come by someone's just pure manipulation of someone. And that can come about because of the trauma that they've had as a child, because maybe they're a runaway youth or they've been abused when they were younger. And and and, and all this concoction can work into being easily, you know, manipulated into these terrible situations, which they, you know, and right. which unfortunately happens. What challenge if they don't go through that kind of training, what kind of challenges do they experience going entering the workforce? Is- what are, the, what are you helping them bridge, I guess? Yeah. And again, this is just from my lens and, and my experience. Of course. Uh, yeah. Of course. And this is all about, listen, this is, of course, that's what it is. And I'm just, I'm just curious how, as a business person, I can recommend that my clients support hiring people that have been through this, if that's something that is even discussed. Yeah. Or what challenges I would have as a manager if I were hiring somebody that would go through this horrible experience. It seems like a lot of people are, especially entrepreneurs, like to help other people and like to yeah. hire, you know, people that like to hire veterans and other types of people who have, you know, give, given of themselves in different ways. This is this would be another avenue that could be accomplished. Two things. One is the reason that my team gets trained on trauma and, and vicarious trauma is that in my work, I came across situations where I didn't understand where that other person was coming from or their behaviors. For example, not talking at all on the in the training, not looking me in the eye, not showing up on time for what I perceived as rude. And so when I started uh, working with the nonprofits, it was like, well, this is a trauma survivor. I thought, oh, that makes sense. The other the other part was, you know, when you work with these individuals, they will tell you their stories. And so I, you know, there there were certain points where I would break down in tears. Right. So Free to Thrive is a um, legal aid for trafficking survivors out of San Diego. They also have a series of training on YouTube. So if you just go to their website, freetothrive.org, you can take the training yourself. And it's trauma-informed training. They have vicarious trauma training so that you know sort of how to support someone who's gone through that. And there are formal training programs as well. Okay. And, and I, I think that's helped. That's the best way to do it is to, like anything, educate yourself. How many clients are do you serve? And what, what are the size clients? And how do they ha- how do they reach you? Yeah. We have around 50 clients okay. of all different shapes and sizes and reasons. And the clients that we serve, typically they have around anywhere from like 20 to 100 employees and they don't have internal HR, although we do support companies who are hiring their first employee all the way up to having a couple thousand and having in-house executives in HR who just need a stronger bench uh, to run programs. 
Small BizCast is proud to support Fit for the Cause. Fit for the Cause is the leading organization in fitness for low-income and special needs communities. Founded in response to the national health crises, Fit for the Cause has used licensed and COVID-conscious trainers to keep their members active, even during the pandemic. Offering physical training, nutrition, and a variety of classes, members benefit from the same resources given to Special Olympic athletes. So stay active now by going to www.fitforthecause.org. That's fit, the numeral four, thecause.org. Welcome to our new sponsor, Jorgensen HR. Jorgensen HR believes that an employer's workforce is the single key to customer satisfaction, reputation growth, profitability, and the ultimate success of the company. Jorgensen HR works to ensure that employers are in compliance with federal, state, and local HR laws and helps assist them with almost everything else HR. Driven by passion and guided by expertise, Jorgensen HR. Please remember to mention Small BizCast when you call 661-600-2070 or visit them online at jorgensenhr.com. If you know of anyone who feels lonely on their way to the top, I can help. Hot Dog Business Growth is for companies of all sizes. For people new to business, we offer the Pay It Forward Roundtable, a monthly half-day panel discussion with your peers, coupled with one-to-one private counseling with me. This is super affordable and the best OJT you'll ever get as you learn to grow your business. For the more seasoned, Hot Dog Business Growth offers counseling for leadership and teams. We offer sales strategies and team synergy, as well as customer service assessments and training. Our decades of business experience is on tap for you and your team. Schedule your no-obligation conversation at hotdogbizgrowth.com. How big is your staff? I have a total of 10. Wow. And are they all in an office someplace? Are they remote? No. Virtual? I was a virtual company before it was cool to be a virtual company. It was a word, right? (laughs) Yeah. It made me nervous to do that. But I thought, no, I want to build a workplace, virtual workplace. Right where people um, could really do great work and have a work-life balance. I realize now this is like the buzzwords for everyone, but this is how I founded it when I brought on our first employee. Right. How's your company in terms of staff? Are they people that have been with you a long time or what's the tenure? How does that work? Yeah, I'm so excited. I have a total of five individuals who will be celebrating their three-year anniversary, which is also the first time that I hired someone. So- Uh We've got, got pretty good retention. I'm That's very proud great. of that. We have an amazing team. What do you think the secret to keeping your employees happy is? Are they come first? Even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if right. I'm like, oh, like, you know, and, and it happens every once in a while, not a lot. I, I'm I'm always focused on how can I make this a great workplace for them? How can right. I fully support them holistically in their personal lives as well? Not just right. here at work. How can I deliver them amazing work? How can I constantly support them? How can I give them the benefits that are great for them? Right. You know, all of that is part of the secret sauce. Right. I I always believe that life happens in business and, you know, your life happens to me as a business owner. Sometimes I have to take off time to go take care of something. And by keeping people forced at their, you know, desk, so to speak, and not giving them the freedom to take care of those things that comes up. First of all, it takes away their joy from the job, it makes it makes it more of a labor rather than a pleasure for for them. It gives them a burden of worry if they have something coming up. And secondly, it it fosters what you're doing fosters stability, fosters a long-term engagement. So it's sometimes it's counterintuitive for entrepreneurs and business people to to understand that we have to be flexible with our 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 staff's needs. 
Um, but I think it's just good business. I think it's, I think there's a, we spend more time with our employees than we do with the people that we, we are fa- in our family. We need to treat them the way we would treat our family and give them the flexibility. And that means managing for it, by the way, it means you have to have redundant redundancy because of course the customers need to be served. And so if you have somebody that's so good at their job that you can't live without them, then you have to create redundant systems. So if they do have to take an hour off to go to their kid's doctor's appointment, then your customers are still served. And yeah. so it's about the consci- consciousness of running your business where, where not one person is key to everything and to understand that these things happen. So it's, it's just like you set up your business so you could work virtually and remotely and travel and the whole thing. I think you also have to set up your business to be ready to have a person take an hour off that you didn't expect to have take an hour off. And it's yep. a deliberate, it's a deliberate thing. And of course, if somebody overuses it, then that's a different question. But if if they're just good natured people just doing the best they can, then it makes absolute good sense and good business to run your business that way. So I think you know, there's I a Thank you. There's a level of transparency that we have here where people will share what's actually going on in their lives. As as I say all this, like supporting the employee, it comes first. My secondary response is always, and the business needs to run. So what do we need to do for that? And, And so because it's open here, because people are safe being vulnerable, they will share what's going on and the team will jump in like, you know, hey, I have this thing happening. I need someone to cover my clients these days. And then- right. It's so easy. It's so easy for the team. I got you, you know, I've got right. you done. Right. And then every once in a while, me too, you know, I, I'm not the first person that will jump in. I'm running the business, but I'm right. also there of like, if there's no one, guess who else you can help? It's me. Right. Um, and there's a, a beauty to, to that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's, it's human nature. If you and I were in the same room right now and I dropped my pen, you would, you, you would probably, you know, bend down to pick it up before I would, because people typically want to help other people. So if you give them the opportunity to help help you by being open and vulnerable, then the the problems will go away. My guess is the flexibility that you've afforded your staff has probably never created a problem for your customers. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement. We I also have some pretty clear boundaries for our customers, especially if it comes up that we're not on call 24 hours a day. Um, I don't work weekends. I don't expect my team to work. They will. Sometimes I see it, but it's not an expectation. And I've had people ask, well, what if we need something at night? Sorry. Like I I need my people to rest because what we do with what a lot of us do, it can be very mentally intense. Mm -hmm. So I don't want someone on call at seven, eight, nine at night when they're with their family, having to drop what they have to do to get on a phone call. You know, it, it, my joke is always, it's not an emergency in HR. And if it is, you probably need to call 911. You don't need to call us. (laughs) There's a, you know, a lot of, uh, that I do on working in, in, in coaching and supporting the balance that I personally have, I have this balance too, you know, and and I want them to have that. So I'm always doing my best to support that. Right. So it's, it's a new year. It's 2023. It's still, we still have this, you know, the, the, the trail of the pandemic is still affecting us in a lot of different ways. How are you preparing your team? How do you prepare your clients to what, what do you see 2023 bringing you as a, as a business operator? Every HR professional knows what the new year means. So as you say that, the the first thing that always comes to mind is new laws are in place. Right. So this is what the team is prepping for right now. It's what it's been prepping for. It's what January will be about. All the new laws that are changing, 
And there are some significant ones. One trend that is sweeping the states, right? It's not a federal law, but it's the states is wage transparency, having to tell people what the salary range is for a job, having to put that on the job ad. And it's all in a nod towards pay equity, right? Making sure people get right. paid fairly. So th these things will always be something, something new will always be coming up with a new evolution of how the laws are put into place, not to annoy you, but to protect people. That's what's happening right now in the world of HR, all these different changes. We just published a newsletter that has all the changes around the United States. If um, you want a copy, please reach out. I will send you one. Yeah, we'll have your contact information cool. in the show notes along with uh, freetothrive.org's website yeah. as well. A question about that. So the pay equity means you have to have transparency in the pay range. What's mm -hmm. to keep somebody saying between $5 and a million dollars a year? How does that create? Yep. Is yes. that is that legal or do they have to be, is there somebody policing it? I mean, I can tell you as a business owner, my prior business, we had uh, technical jobs and we had openings from range that really were based on who we could get because the technical training was rare. And mm -hmm. so we would get people that have 20 years experience and people that have, you know, a year's experience and we, they had to be paid proportionate to what right. they could deliver. So if I was forced to put a high number to attract a lot of people, then I would also be forced to either not hire people that were entry level, or I would be forced to overpay them. And that would cause another problem with the rest of my staff. Why is this entry level person being paid when I'm being paid? And so I see a lot of, as an owner of a business, I see there's a lot of discomfort with pushing that. Yet I understand that you know, there's the power of the purse goes to the business owner and they can abuse people by not paying them well. So right. as a HR professional, how do you manage discussing that? And how do you prep your people on both sides, the employees and the employers? I'm rolling my eyes right now because we're hearing that happen here. I always have that effect on people. <laughs> yeah, New York, New York City, people are putting yeah. the salary ranges 30,000 to 110. Right. And, and what I would ask someone, is that the truth? And if it's not, if you don't know, the, the next best, best thing you could do is work with a professional. There are some tools online as well to do a job analysis and a wage analysis because then you're no longer guessing what that range is, you know. Um, and that's really important because you want to pay someone what the market rate is and what's fair. Right. And so I would argue even in a tech position with one year experience or, you know, I don't know how many, how much is that range? It's probably not $70,000. It's probably a lot smaller than that. Um, but to know your numbers and to be confident about what is fair in the marketplace right. is where I think where everyone should start. Right. In the environment now where we have more opening, more job opportunities and we have people applying, then it's naturally bringing the wages up just to outbid your competitor for labor. I don't know that from what I read, I don't know that that's keeping up with inflation. I think it's off by about 2% in terms of wage increases versus inflation. That's another challenge. So people are leaving jobs for higher job, higher pay rather than expecting raises from their, to, mat, to match what the market would bring if they were hiring new people. Um, so a lot of the advice I'm giving my clients to keep stability and keep their client to keep their staffs properly is to give raises that are commensurate with the market as a new employee. That could cause a whole lot of budgetary problems, especially long term. Some are doing it with bonuses rather than salaries. I'm curious what you're seeing, especially since you're seeing a nationwide view of this. How are you seeing employers manage this? 
Yeah, I, I would challenge the idea that people leave strictly for pay first. Right. Well, well, of course. No, of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, and, and again, back to a job analysis and a wage analysis of what fair pay is, what is the market paying? Because it, it, it typically, it can't, it definitely can be about pay, but it typically isn't about pay. It's like, you, it's, and this is a harder play. It's a harder play to say, I'm going to look at my organization and see, is it a happy, healthy workforce right. or workplace? Would I want to work here? What do we look like as far as employer branding goes? Right. Um, what does it look like to work in this organization? And 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 really do that evaluate that that big, you know, company wide evaluation of would someone want to work here? Right. And and pay. And are we going to pay them? You know, what's fair? Because I know you know some people even if you offered them you know a ton more money to work in a shitty work environment, they'll say no. Right. No, of course you have to, it's it's just one of the levers we use to keep stability in our workforce. But you definitely don't want your staff to feel taken advantage of from a salary of perspective when somebody new might be offered more money than they're being paid. And that's that's what creates that's that's why I say you have to do all those other things. You have to make your employees feel empowered and give them the the respect and the pleasantness that they need, the environment that they need to thrive. But you still also have to pay them to what the market is. I I have several old friends in business that are just being dragged kicking and screaming to that place because that's not how it used to be. It used to be yeah. they they were in the power position, but at the moment employers are not. And no. so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next five years or so to see how that plays out. The pandemic definitely had a huge mark on the culture of work in, yes. in at least where I am in Southern California. Are you finding that this is changed? This is different throughout the country. That that this depends on what part of the country you are versus how how employees are relating to employers or vice versa. No, you know, it, it, as um, we went through the great reshuffle and people started moving across the country, and then we started seeing the news reports about you're going to be paid less, you're going to be paid more based on where you you live. I, I feel like it, it's a universal thing. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What 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 challenges do you face coming up in the next uh, couple of years? <laughs> I laugh because the last couple of years has been a gauntlet of change for everybody. So I'm um, really glad this is a positive thing because last question you rolled your eyes. This one, you just <laughs> so <laughs> right. Next, the next one. Let's see what happens there. Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, I mean it's two things: being prepared for what question mark comes ahead because we just went through a whole bunch of question marks right. of different things happening from racial unrest to the pandemic to the changes in the economy. I mean, there's, there's so much that that's it, but it's going to happen. Maybe not in the intensity that we've gone through, like right. fingers crossed, but being, being prepared for that, I think is, is really important. And so for us, we've built a tool called resilience in HR uh -huh. And that can be applied whether we have an economic downturn, whether we have another pandemic, knock on wood, we don't. I know people are like, why'd you say that, Leilani? And and being being ready and, and having the knowledge of what you need to do for from our perspective for the workforce for that. And then the other thing I think that's so important for 2023 is for all of us to just continue working on our own mental and physical health. Right. What else do we have? Right. Then keeping that 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 balance, right? Balance within right. us so that we can be there for our families, for our work. If we're uh -huh. leaders for our people, always, I mean, I'm always working on that. Always working on that. Your hobbies are rock climbing, right? 
I am, I do bat crazy shit outside. So yeah. that, yes, I'm a mountaineer and rock climbing is part of that. I'm in New York. Ice climbing season is coming up. So I'm so stoked to start climbing in the Adirondacks and the Dax as we call them. Uh-huh. And-, and so are there business lessons or business parallels to the world of ice climbing and mountain climbing that into your business? Do you, oh, what, are, totally. what, what are they? Tell me the lessons you've learned. There's this quote by Tom Hiddleston. I won't get it perfect. But it says, just put one foot in front of the other and eventually you've climbed a mountain. And that is true with any type of climbing. It's, uh-huh. it's you know, not focusing on the distance, not, you know, not letting the fear of what might happen get to you, nice. but really being honed in on, you know, what's, what's at play. And so when you're, when you're ice climbing, it's, it's some very simple stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I had these ice climbing axes and one said, breathe. And the other one said, relax. And the other thing that you focus on is heels down, hips in and, and take it slow and methodical. Think about your next move, conserve energy and have fun. And every once in a while, pick your head up and look around at the view, because when you climb a mountain, you know, or you ice climb or you rock climb, the the view is amazing. And it's something that very few people get to see. And I think entrepreneurship is the exact same thing. Brilliant answer. I love every bit of that. Leilani, thank you so much for being on Small BizCast. I'm going to leave it at that. I don't think anything you can say will top that. That's fabulous. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey, another good episode of Small BizCast in the can. Hey, listeners, you do make a difference. You make a difference when you share the episodes on Facebook or other social media. You make a difference when you give us reviews wherever you get your podcast. And you make a difference when you email me your suggestions and ideas, comments, and notes to jv at jovopro.com. You also make a difference when you support our sponsors, and I really encourage everybody to do so. Jorgensen HR, Hot Dog Business Growth, and SoCal Labrador Retriever Rescue, all of which can be found on the show notes. Thanks a million. Until next time, Hot Dog, It's a Wonderful Life.